All right, this is coming in on the top today in the show. We have singer-songwriter Dan Montgomery. The Memphis-based singer-songwriter has a large collection, a large repertoire of Americana music that dips its toes into rock and roll. But now, on his latest release, Cast Iron Songs and Torch Ballads, it dives headfirst into the rock. Cast Iron Songs and Torch Ballads are, is available on all streaming platforms, and you can get a real rad vinyl edition from danmontgomery.com. Um, everything's linked below. This was a really cool conversation. I like diving into the headspaces of the songwriter to see the uh, bleak moments that mean nothing to nobody, but for someone who is uh, crafting a tune or capturing an image, it becomes a whole, a whole journey. And Dan gets into it. This conversation was really cool. We dive into like some of the, uh, the ideas of like uh, physical meditation in a way, where your body's doing something so mundane you don't have to think about it, but it gives you that space where your mind can wander, and and come across these beautiful um, ties in between ideas and narratives that maybe wouldn't have happened because you're so focused on other things, um, and also. Uh, Dan toured with uh, Ben Vaughn a few months ago. I did an interview with Ben Vaughn, so if you're a fan of Ben and you hear these references and want to know where they're, what they mean, you can dive back into the Zig at the Gig catalog and check out that conversation. Um, before moving on, we're going to listen to a track. This is Lonesome Train off Cast Iron Songs and Torch Ballads.
just about to learn pain oh, I trade everything I've stolen and double If I could only just get off this train Some Train, Cast Iron Songs and Torch Ballads, Dan Montgomery, available now on all streaming platforms. Um, before we get into this conversation, one last thing. If you can like, rate, review uh, the podcast on any of the podcast platforms, it really helps me keep talking to cool guests and sharing their insights with you. And uh, without further ado, here's my conversation with Dan. Like, starting off, I want to know, like, because like, I've only been to Memphis once, and there's like a magic to it. Like, and it's interesting because you've done a lot of traveling and wound up there. Um, and I wanted to hear all about, like, with Ben Vaughn because I, I got to pick his brain, like, a couple months ago. Um, yeah, I heard that interview. It was a really good interview with him. Oh, yeah? Thanks, man. Thanks for listening. Well, you started off by mentioning uh, uh, Don't Spill No Touch About My Toast Bread, which threw the whole thing into, like, uh-oh, he just got good research. <laughs> um, yeah, like... I, I try to. I try to. I try to just listen to the music Howard sends me and just really focus on that and then dive in. Um, but like, as far as like Memphis, like, because like, like my cousins went there for a thing and then like for a job and like he moves around a lot, so he's only there for a bit or just either way. We met up with him there and we did Beetle Street and like went to the crossroads. When, when, hmm? when was that? Uh, this is probably 2013-something years ago, a long time. Yeah. And, like, there's something so magic about about it. And, like, I, I don't know if it's because, like, all this stuff came from there. Um, but as someone who's traveled a lot, what was it that kind of, like, or was it that made you settle there? Was it the uh, the girl at the time or was it the uh, the place? Both. Um, I mean, yeah, you're right. There is this magic about Memphis. And is it because of what's happened here or is it what happened here happened because it's magic? That's really the question. And in 20 years, I can't really tell you, <laughs> which is kind of the beautiful thing about Because, like, being around, like, it's interesting being, like, a songwriter and trying to do your original thing in, like, places that are highly musical. Like, there's a lot of competition, I feel. Um, I'm kind of lucky to be here in Cleveland where there, we have a very like kind of inspirational growing scene that is quite busy, but, and it may be just cause I've always been here. I find a place in it, but as someone that just moves to different spots and like, kind of like jumps in and especially something as like heavy as like Memphis or like Nashville, like where do you even get started? You know? <laughs> well, Nashville scares the bejesus out of me. I'll be honest. Cause I don't, yeah. I don't have that. I don't really have a good built-in self-promotion thing to fall back on. Like some people are really good at the pitch and all. And as you'll probably find out over the course of this talk, I'm not. Um, But one thing about Memphis, like I came to Memphis, I was 40 when I moved here. 
And one thing about Memphis is there's there's always a music scene going on. It kind of morphs and changes every few years and all. But the a really great thing about Memphis is that if you come to town here and you declare yourself an artist or a musician or a painter or a filmmaker or something, people give you a chance to prove it. Okay. And then the rest is up to you and, yeah. and luck, you know. But but people are not are very open to like, you know, somebody new comes to town and what you know, and not even in a challenging way, people want to see what you have. Yeah. And like after that, it's up to you what you do with it. Uh, whereas a lot of other big music cities, that is not the case at all. Yeah, yeah. It's it's kind of like yeah. that uh, scarcity, like, well, if there's another guy, I don't get a gig. You know what I mean? So, like, that's cool. Yeah, it's sort of like, I have to say that. And um, and there's a very good, like I said, I came here a bit older, but I was new. So I interacted a lot with a lot of the younger artists and bands. And I never found the age thing to be um, any kind of barrier at all. It's just a matter of if you... People think you're delivering the goods, I think. And there's, there's not a lot of business here in a lot of ways. You know, people leave here to, get, to go do other stuff. So it's easy for people to be more communal when there isn't um, a lot of industry, you know, hovering over things, I think. That makes sense, too. Yeah, that, and then it's just, it's, it's communal. It's like... Uh... Yeah, I think... 66 to 1973 maybe that might have been a different situation when this was like a recording capital of the world you know that might have been put a lot more pressure on people in, in all kinds of ways but it's really not that way here now um although there's tons of great music coming out of here all the time don't get me wrong yeah like the one day out like the, the few days we were there like going just a up and down Beatles Street, there was just like you can go in any club, and there was something something different happening. And outside the clubs, you're just like, Whoa. yes, it's yeah. inescapable. Yeah, when I first came to town, uh, a guy that had booked me some shows. He used to book this place on Beale Street called the New Daisy Theater, which is a pretty big theater. And but he used to book me. I was always trying to play inside, and he's like, "I'll book you outside, and you'll make more money with tips." And that was the case when I finally played inside. I played open for somebody in front of 700 people and made a hundred dollars. Whereas I paid on the street. I made a couple hundred bucks. <laughs> it's, it's, it's interesting too, because like you're getting people who aren't committed to one performance. They're just walking by and they're like, Oh, that's cool. You know? And like, it, it, I, there's so much effort that's put into that one. Like you set the stage, so to say, so succinctly to make a one performance work right you know what i mean with all the promotion and all the trying to get people in these seats and trying to push there's so much into like one show in a play you know in a way compared to just walking by and it's it, i think that's kind of like in a weird way like how the internet works as far as like music like you're you're on the the digital street yes. you know <laughs> so you really gotta busk everything you do <laughs> like, that's a good way of putting it because like yeah, and that's kind of like where the competition is more these days is because every, you know, the great thing about music now is anybody can put out a record. And the worst thing about music is anybody <laughs> can put out a record. Yeah. Because, like, how do you find these things? So it's, you know, it, yeah, it's, that's a really great way to put it is it's, it's very much like busking on the street. How do you get their attention and draw them in? When I, when I was, um, the sound man for uh, the Ben Vaughn combo. We were touring. We did a bunch of shows opening for Mojo Nixon because we were on the same label and he was real 
big at the time. And his his red guy was a guy named Bullethead, who I think is still his manager to this day. And we had these merch wars where we'd set up across from each other at the end of the show <laughs> and try to get both attention to sell because we were both like paying our rent by selling merch back then, you know. And I, I was we were doing having about an equal war, and then one day they came in with a bullhorn and it was all over. They got everybody's it was like, oh man. So yeah, it's it's all about getting that that attention. Yes, yeah, and that's why you know things like these are so great to go on a show like this, and you broadcast to people that you wouldn't reach otherwise. Yeah, for sure. And in like in like a, a like this, I, so thank you for doing this. Well, thank you. Like it only works if I have people that are inspiring to talk to, and like the part of this for me was just to like to to find insight and inspiration, and it's cool that other people dig it too. And it's cool that people are willing to endure my canter <laughs> to a. Well, to it, it could be a two way street if it works well, and it seems to be. So, <laughs> well, thanks, man. Um, sure. That, that's hilarious, though, with the bullhorn. Like, <laughs> the little, the little, the, 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 the shiny things that get our attention, like, whoa, louder. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, that's, that's, yeah. The, the, I mean, the bane of every musician is playing in a bar where the TV's on. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because so you heard to hate TV because it becomes your, you know, your that's your competition more than anything else sometimes. Was it and bar gigs are so tricky. Like so I guess the one thing that is really like um uh, amazing about the setting the stage and playing in the venue compared to like the bar is like everyone in the bar or everyone in the venue is there for the show, even if they didn't come to see you. If you're opening, you're you're in front of who they want to see. They're waiting to watch you be done <laughs> like whatever it is ideally like, <laughs> ideally you're right ideally they're not showing yeah. in late um but like in, in in the other sense like when you're in the bar like you're also fighting the the, the people that are there that ah, i'm here to catch up with frank oh you're here like there's someone over there being loud you know and like just the sheer like kind of like battle against against the room to like prove your self-worth i guess but in that sense, it. Never... Well, yeah, it's a whole... I'm sorry. Oh no, I was gonna say. In that sense, it's a whole different mindset you go into it. You know what I mean? Like you live for the room when they pay attention, but like, and also you, when when it does get quiet and you can hear the listen, you're like, oh, I got one. You know? Yeah. Oh yeah. And that's the thing. You got to, You know, you, as soon as you think you developed a perfect set, you can you can pretty much figure it's gonna go out the window when you go play somewhere because the the atmosphere of the room is good, can change it at a moment's notice. Right, right. And, you know, and, and, you know, if you think that, if you just have one thing down, it may not apply to every situation. So you got to be flexible. You got to be in the moment. And you got to have a thick skin when you're playing, you know, the bar gigs. Yeah, but I mean, I came up doing that. So it's not an unusual thing for me. You know, I came up playing you know, dances and parties and bars when I was a teenager. Right. You started so when you were 14, right? Yeah. Yeah. I was in my first band. I was a cover band. I was, in four, I was 14. I was the youngest member of the band. And we played, so I played dances and parties. And it was, it was great. You know, it was like we were playing, you know, what now would be incredibly unhip because it was all like Bad Company and Bachman Turner Overdrive and that stuff. But that was new rock then. Everybody's like, oh, it's classic rock. Like, well, it was, that was the new rock then, you know. <laughs> And it was pre-punk, you yeah. know, two years later that happened and 
you know, everybody in my first band at that point went in completely different directions. One, I, like, I, I really embraced punk. One guy got really into country. One guy got really into Prague. It was just like, well, we have nothing to say to each other, you know? So, yeah, and also being like, well, how much older were the rest of the guys in the band? If you were 14 About at that time. Just five years. So there's a big jump. Yeah. Yeah. So they've already kind of had that 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 bite of that thing you get at that age where you're like, oh, this is cool. I embrace that. Like what punk what punk bands did that for you? If you were around Jersey. Well, the, sorry. Well, Patty Smith initially. Okay. Um yeah. that's kind of the gateway drug for me. Um and she being from she's originally from Pittman, which is like twenty minutes from where we grew up. It was very much a you know, a big local hero kind of thing. But I had one of those epiphany moments where I was at a I was 15, I guess, and I was at a party, and teenager party, and this girl asked me, uh, who's a couple years older than me, asked me if I liked rock and roll, and I said, I used to, but I don't think there's any real rock and roll anymore, and she said, come with me, and I went into this bedroom with her, and I thought, oh my God, this is the moment, you know, <laughs> and instead, she turned out all the lights and put on horses from start to finish. And it was when it was over after Elegy, I was so out of breath. I didn't even care about what I thought was going to be happening there. And it was like everything had shifted. And I just had to go out the next day and get that record, you know. And that opened up to like, you know, the Ramones and television and stuff. And a lot of those bands, like the Ramones, originally, because I was a very, like, you know, serious singer songwriter kind of guy, I thought it was kind of silly. And then when I saw them, it was like, oh, I get it. This is genius. Yeah. Well, as a songwriter, you're right, because it's like uh, fast thought I would like, fast thought I would not like. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, there's yeah. no burying the lead there. It's it's highlighted and next. <laughs> like, But that that makes well, sense. Sorry, sorry. No, I was going to say, it reminded me of that thing. If you ever seen that, uh, one of the Stooges documentaries where he said when they started writing the first record, his theory became uh, 25 words or less <laughs> should be the, the lead. But that's like, you know, it's very like Hemingway six song, six word story type, you know, thing, you know, like uh, how do you say something in a very condensed way that everyone can either relate or misrelate to, you know? <laughs> yes. And, and the remote thing, just, you know, when you look back at it, like I said, once I saw them live, too, it was very much like it was this complete package too. like what what people were kind of like dismissing as being kind of uh, goofy and dumb it was like this is a really like put together thing you know from how they look to have the brevity of it to the presentation of it just genius yeah well and like like you're saying like as a unit the whole thing and like well just the the kind of like because that emotion was right there and because it was like so alien in a way like this like fast music which i mean like there's bands that come down the road that show that the fastness doesn't matter but like it, like i it, it, it's like that like that the beauty of that six song story or six word i'm mixing my words six word story well, when I got hit with the ramones and patty smith and all that stuff i was coming off like a couple of years of very much liking like the dead and stuff so the shift in gears was really important and dramatic for me because the thing that my problem with the dead became they just got so slow <laughs> like i saw them live like i saw them in like 76 the first time and it was really great and then it just got slower and slower <laughs> and then this other thing 
like, oh, no, I was right. This is what I'm looking for. <laughs> like, I, th there's a beauty to the slowness, but, like, there is something. Oh, like, yeah. You know, there's something that if it can encompass you like that and, like, energize you in that way. Like, and, I don't, and maybe it's the relatability of the Ramones. Like, it seems so doable, but it's not. You know, it, like, they're, like their songs seem so, like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. But when you go to write a Ramones-style oh, song, you know. That's why 40 years later or however long it's been, bands are not only still, people are not only still listening to songs, bands are trying to be that band still. Yeah. Because it's, it's you know, and certainly for a first band, it seems like the perfect template to start with. Oh, yeah. You know, I mean, like. The question is, do you do anything more than that after that? And do, or do you need to either, you know? Right. Well, because I guess like if you really analyze like the band itself, the energy is there when you see them, when you see any performance live or just listen to the record, there's the excitement and like the relatability is right up front. And like in the sense of like a band, okay, where they're all wearing, they look like the unit. And like one of my favorite parts about the Ramones is like how they were like Johnny Appleseed of punk. Everywhere they went, bands sprouted, you know, because it. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah, it seemed doable. And it seemed like if they can do something and be this unique, I can. And like, if anything, that's why they're always going to be. That's why they'll be timeless forever. Like. Well, you know, there's that, that, that quote, especially Brian Eno said about the Velvet Underground. About you know they only started thirty only sold thirty thousand copies, but everybody that bought a copy started a band, and yeah. the Ramones is like the next uh, generation of that. I think that you know they they probably sold a lot more records, oddly enough, but more than that, um, probably every third person that bought a record started a band. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Like so yeah, they're, 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 they are definitely the Johnny Appleseeds of punk more than anyone else. So so you uh you get into the you get the you get the punk bite and what a beautiful like story of that like that's so cool because Patty Smith is like as, and, and having that writer's mindset like she definitely yeah. delivers with that and like th that's like that I'm that's a poem how you described hearing that record for the first time. Um, so going into like this, like, cause you got to get your, 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 like your ground, you got to get the like physicality of actually playing songs and how bands work and doing the bar circuit. So after getting exposed to like punk in that sense and the band splits up, is this when like, um, is this when you start your own like original group? Um, the my name's slipping, uh, fudge. I totally forgot the name of your first band. Um, Drunk Before Breakfast, or yeah. that was a later band. Okay. Um, no, no. I, well, yeah, you know, I was in my teenage band, and that kind of fell apart. And then, yeah, punk happened, and I started a band uh, that really went nowhere. We were terrible, terrible. Um, I had never fronted a band before or anything, so and that kind of scared me off for a little bit. So I spent a lot of time doing a lot of solo things at like folk show, folk clubs, and. Uh, Rutgers University in Camden, New Jersey, which is around where I grew up, even though I was not a college person or anything. And so I was kind of I was kind of going back and forth between the two worlds. And, um, and it was funny. I used to play this place at Rutgers and it was a folk club. It was called the Perimeter. And you played completely on, on you know, on, on no electric, no PA, nothing. And people sat there and listened to you quietly. And it totally like spoiled me for what was to come. And then 
and then like I got my foot in the punk thing, and it was like the total opposite of it. So it's just so I've always had my feet in kind of two worlds that way. And then I and then I started working with um, the Ben Vaughn combo, and I kind of didn't do anything musically for other than you know running sound and eventually becoming a road manager for quite a few years. And then I went back to playing after that. <laughs> so that's a really interesting kind of like. View like a very internal kind of view to then a very external kind of view. Um, it's interesting those crowds where you play in the room where all they do is listen. Like we have a couple venues in Cleveland that um, that's kind of like the it's a songwriter's room when the band's play, when the artist is playing you listen like it and it's mm-hmm. it's really cool it's a really cool environment to be in and like it really kind of makes you hone into every moment being as impactful as the next in a way. But like, there's also that kind of like, Oh, we won them over. I've earned this, this stillness, you know, when you're playing the shitty bar gigs that, that tune in and then they listen and you get, get that attention for a moment. It's kind of like a mini victory. There's a, a Oh yeah. Like when you're playing a bar gig and like, the guitar, the other guitar player takes some really raving hot solo, and people react to that. Yeah, and it's like, and so it's like now you're like, it's like you're in a jazz gig. People are reacting to the solos and stuff. You know, yeah, you don't always have to bring them down to the silent moment either. You know. Yeah, well, I, it's one. The dynamics are interesting too when you work that musically and see how that interacts. But you're right, like, and then or just like a blues gig when you hear those live blues records when someone takes a solo, you hear the crowd go nuts afterwards, and the next guy goes oh, the yeah. same thing. Like, it's like, oh, I long for that minor attention. But um, and the thing is, today, like, so many people are, you know, used to. Yeah, you can go on YouTube and see a nine-year-old kid shredding right all day long. That when somebody hits a solo now and it really moves people, whether it's a beautiful melodic thing or some crazy, you know, over-the-top rock thing, when you get people's attention with a solo these days, you're really doing something because people are just used to, oh, there will be a solo now. Yeah, yeah, and there. So when you can get with that then you've got you've got somebody who's really communicating and that i guess you know with like just like you're saying there's so much of like like you can hear good stuff anywhere like you can you that the staple that if you're not completely killing it if it's not like 110 percent like the average of rock and guitar solo and then beyond it's going to get kind of lost in the ether of like uh being in the room on your phone or whatever you know it's it's interesting the kind of standard that sets in a way, or new standard, because man, it's hard yeah, to keep I, up. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. I, I I don't know, like I don't have kids, so I don't know what kids are 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 watching or listening to, you know. So like, I don't even know what those standards are in a lot of ways. So I just keep plugging away doing what I'm doing, you know. And I'm really lucky that I have a great band here. So, um. I can I can really work the both best of both worlds. I can do a like I tend to do like a band tour then a solo tour to the band tour then a solo tour. Nice. So like like well, and I think that's like a so I've been trying to I've been trying to trying to do that same type of thing as a as someone who has a school schedule. You know what I mean? Like I've been trying to do the weekend <laughs> warrior dash by myself and like p- play the acoustic loopy gig and then come back with the band after meeting some people. But ever since twenty twenty, it's been like. 
it's been an uphill battle. <laughs> it's oh yeah, well, we you know I um I had a full time job until just this August, so yeah. I didn't do along with other stuff. And then yeah, the pandemic happened. We had a health crisis here at home. It was not COVID related. That's been a long ongoing thing. And so like when my last album came out, it's album called Smoke and Mirrors. And it came out literally the week that everything shut down. Uh, so the tour was canceled. It yes. went down. So that just fell between the, the cracks. So we were getting ready to start everything up with this new record again. And it's like, um, we just finally played as a band our first two gigs in three years in the last couple of months. And it was like, oh, this feels so good. I can't wait to, you know, so now I'm in the middle of booking a tour for June. Um, and I just can't wait to get out there and do it again. You know, but, but yeah, booking is not as easy as it was uh, before the pandemic. And, you know, people are trying to make up for all the money they lost. I can't blame them for being more. Uh, yeah. 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 They got it. They got it. They got their nut to, to, to make too. But, uh, but we are looking for a gig in Cleveland. If anybody looks for the here. So. Yeah. Well, let's put a pin in that. I'll give you some info at the end of this. <laughs> yeah. I did play the, uh, I played the Beachland Ballroom Tavern a couple okay. of years ago when um, I opened for Ben when uh, Vaughn was, he was here. Oh, yeah? Nice. Yeah, and, yeah, it was a really cool little room. Yeah, I really liked that a lot. Yeah, the Beachland's awesome. I did a lot of uh, streaming work in the pandemic for the Beachland and the Grog Shop trying to, every, when everyone oh, was great. trying to do that bit. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's awesome. So I guess, okay, to kind of unpin some of that, like, external view. So, like, when you're when you're touring with Ben and, like, seeing how he works and handles rooms and like learning how to handle like the, the, the never ending quest, which is, or the never ending, um, like factor, which is the people and being in different rooms and how they interact, like setting up a set like that. And just even like what type of tunes would happen? What, like, what are some kind of like, I guess, um, songwriting and performance, like lessons that came from those experiences that you still find yourself oh. falling upon today. Oh, it was a, it was in retrospect, it was a master class yeah. in how to, first of all, how to write a set list. Cause when I first started working with, working with uh, the band Montombo, when we were playing locally in Philly, we'd play three. They, I say we, they, they would play three sets a night. So, you know, you, and Ben would write out a set list, you know, for each of the sets and it had to be to make copies this is before people had printers or anything. So I had to write them all out. So you start to see patterns in how sets are made. And then you also start to see how they get abandoned when the crowd needs something different. Um, I, I learned a lot about how to treat your band members, how to, you know, how to get by on $5 a day on tour. Yeah. Um, I learned a lot of things and, but most of all, yeah, how to, how to work a crowd and how to, you know, adapt to them as well. And it was five years of, it was like, it was something I would never learn in college. That's for sure. So like, was his like approach, like, did, was there a pattern that you seemed like, so in a new town, this seems to be the go-to you start with this. Like, was it like a, a, like a busking idea number, like, oh, this draws the attention in, like, you know what I mean? Like, was there like a kind of pattern like that, that you noticed? Well, there's always like, there's a, um, you know, the opening number, you know, it's, it's going to be up tempo and it's going to be some kind of sense of inviting people in. Okay. You know, in something, something about what it presents 
seems inviting. And then, like, say, like, the third or fourth song in, there would usually be, uh, like, a surf instrumental. There's just certain little things, you know, you knew where to place the ballad, so, so it wasn't like, if you place the ballad the next to last song, as soon as you get done, they're going to say, that's it, you're off, and, and cut you a little short, you know, things like that. So you got to know where to place certain things like that. And But like I said, the biggest thing I learned was learning very quickly in a moment how all those things can be abandoned because the uh, the crowd needs something different. So like, yeah, you, you say your, your set rules can go out to, you have to be ready to abandon them really quickly. So like, it w- would be like if a room's really dancing to a thing, like extending that and driving all the other ones like that to keep them on the... Yes, yeah. I mean, and Ben's a good example of that, and I have the same thing where if you started out playing dances and parties, that's what happens. You want to keep people dancing. Right, right. Well, you know, I like... So I, I find myself doing a lot of uh from since high school I've been doing a lot of like I, and I guess I guess the answer to anything musical is you say yes just about anything until you can get to a place where you can really hone in what you're doing and make that the the main thing, but I would say yes to most gigs like whatever they are and like um, one of which was like a I ended up doing some DJ gigs which wound me up in like some nursing homes. So I would do some nursing mm-hmm. home DJ gigs, and then I would do some nursing home gigs where I would go around with my guitar room to room, and then in the main room, you know, and like, and then a lot of weddings, and like, to whatever. It's like there's no right way to get that room grooving, but when they do, it's like, ah, ah, how do I keep this going? You know, it's oh exactly, yeah. You don't want it to stop by any means, yeah. Um, and I mean, I, you know, I. Another thing is when you come up, and I think it doesn't happen as much for a lot of bands, certainly in, in like towns like Philly, New York, or something. When you used to be, when you came up, you you inevitably did a couple of years playing in cover bands, right? And you learned a lot of things you're not going to learn just by watching people on YouTube. Yeah, like all of a sudden because you spent two years playing songs that maybe you know, the, the bass player wanted to play and you didn't really like, but all of a sudden you realize, oh, the way that structure, that bridge, I could use that in something here. You know, it's all, it's all knowledge you're going to use down the line. Right. It's almost like, I almost think in a way it's like how it used to be years and years and years ago that, you know, when somebody got out of school, they were supposed to do like two years of service to their country. It's like, if you're going to be a musician, you should do years, two years of service in a cover band. I think and yeah. you'll just get out of it, you know. But you also have to remember that you know the cover band is probably where you're going to make the most money, so you got to be careful of that trap too. Right. Well, I think like I think the the introspective, like kind of creative individual gets the I'm doing this. I'm enjoying saying what I do is I play music. This is the thing I want to do. But like the, I think there's a longing for more. Because you're right, that is a good high pain circuit. Like you can really, really hone that in, and like make that what you do. But to get that same reaction to something you wrote is a whole another experience. And you're like, I want to live off this. <laughs> like, not financially, that's just like spiritually. Is that? That's the hard part about part about trying to do those two things at once. Is that? You know, you inevitably get your heart broken because people are responding more to the songs they know. <laughs> right, right, which, you know, makes sense. Like, neurologically, they, you're like, 
dopamine's going off when you know how it's going to resolve and when you know exactly, what it is. Yeah. You know, it's, it's uh, yeah. Um, and whatever, whatever theories we need to tell ourselves. Um, <laughs> exactly. Yes. But um, but um, you know, it's never going to hurt you to learn to play another song either. Yeah. The same token. Um. So like, kind of. So to kind of like jump back into like so. As you were like before that, you're doing this like this the songwriting circuit yourself, and as at like coming from a like you know a band that was doing like Bad Company and like all these like rock tunes and Grand Funk, and there's so much there's so much in that that's like it's interesting like how tunes like that like instead of just playing A, it plays like a A riff, you know what I mean? Like and as opposed to just a chord, and like uh, certain things get buried just because you can't put too much on top of that. But so diving from this kind of like rock world into this songwriting world, um, was there like was it Patty Smith that really made those lyric like ideas like like want to be your drive, or were you driven by something else before that that Patty Smith just kind of put like the vitamin B twelve on? Yeah, more the vitamin B twelve. I was okay. very, I got very moved by um, when I was about fourteen or so with the. Um, the third Jackson Brown album called Late for the Sky. Yeah, okay. And I really, and I really, although I didn't understand a lot of it lyrically because it was way above my head and I hadn't had my heart broken deep enough yet. But I, I but there was a lot I liked about it musically too. And then I discovered there's a Randy Newman album called Good Old Boys. And there's a song on there called Marie. And it just, it was just this beautiful thing I ever heard with these just lush strings and all. But as I listened to the lyric, I realized, you know, the guy in the song is just horrible. And he's just <laughs> confessing out. And I was like, wow, you can write a really beautiful love song and be the bad guy. And that struck me as very a very interesting way to approach things, too. And that kind of opened me up to, like, listening to things differently. And then the Patty Smith thing, like you say, just kind of put the B, vitamin B12 on things. I always remember when I first got horses, I was listening to it in my bedroom at home, like I said, I'm like 15 and I'm playing it and it's really loud. My mother stops by the door and she's listening to it and she just goes, she from New Jersey? <laughs> I was like, from Pittman. She goes, yeah, that makes sense. And she just walked away. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great parent reaction to, to horses. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it was, um, so yeah, so I always had my feet in, or my ears in two different worlds. And when I started, when I made my first record, I was in a period of moving a lot. So I didn't have a band or anybody with me at that time. So I kind of made my first record too, based on the idea that I would be playing it live a lot solo. That put more emphasis on, on, you know, the melodic side of things and the lyric side of things in a way. And it, it did kind of pigeonhole me a bit as I, as I, when I started doing more full band things, people were kind of like, Oh, you do that too. And I'm like, in my mind, I'm like, I did that first, but yeah. you know, potato, <laughs> potato came in. You know. Well, it's, it's, you know, like it's weird. Cause I guess the line, like, cause I think everyone kind of guitar wise is drawn into the sound of the guitar. Right. And then like, you know, like it, it's saying its own thing. Like uh, for me, I was like, Oh, ACDC, like, what I don't know what the guy's sure. singing about, but the, that guitar, dun, 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 chords, riffs, like it's right there, and like that's its own feat itself. But, but then when you think about, oh wait, someone had to write something on top of this, and that makes sense. Like, 
that's that's amazing too. How how did he do that? And like, because I I found myself going down the same kind of rabbit hole in a way, like starting with like a lot of this rock driven tunes and being really into how those work, and then the realization that oh, it's really hard to keep a band going if no one's writing anything, and diving into that world, and that's been like a whole fascination of mine now, and like and through um, through the process of it, but. Some things that the guitar says, like when you when you're in this rock like oriented situation that you have to adapt to a more like singer songwriter situation, is kind of the same thing. But it's it's almost it ha- it, it, you have to like strip it back in a way to make it more of just a chord as opposed to like a lick on A. Does that make you well, know what I mean? And oh like, yeah, I mean the whole the whole job when you when you're in that position is you know yes you can write you know, a heavy riff and a, a, a song to go around with it, around that all. And, but can you just sit down and play on an acoustic guitar and still be a song and not just a riff? Yeah. 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 And, and I'm in a really great position where is the, the guy that plays guitar with me, plays most of the lead stuff and is my co-producer, uh, Robert Mache, who's just this amazing guitar player. I was a really huge fan of a band called the Dream Syndicate when I was around 20 and I followed them through. And then Steve Wynn, who was the leader of that band, he started a solo career. And when I first saw him playing solo, he had this amazing guitar player. That was Robert Mache. And I was just fascinated by his playing. It was just one of my favorite guitar players I ever saw. I saw him play a few times. And so fast forward 20 some years later, I'm working in a coffee shop in Memphis and Robert Mache walks in and he had just him and his wife had just washed up there after Katrina. And because she was originally his wife's originally from who's also the woman who sings on our records, Candace Mache. She was originally from Memphis. And just started talking to him. And I originally I immediately knew who he was. I recognized him. And after a bit of time of just getting to know him all, we started playing together. So it was like I had all of a sudden one day I had one of my favorite guitar players in the world playing with me. <laughs> Oh, we have to make the most of this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and it's like those moments are so like, like you work so hard and you you admire you admire this person and like it it they become almost like a a, a statue figure. You know, what I mean, someone you you abide to oh, and have, like have, abide I'm in. Right so, now in my office. Say what? A poster. Okay. I'm looking right now in my office at a poster of this from the Steve Wynn show that I actually met Robert out in 1991. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like. And like I didn't know that was going to happen. Twenty years later, he was going to be one of my best friends and in my band and my producer and stuff. You know. Yeah. So yeah, it's you know, it's it's amazing how these things come around, and um, you just got to be ready for them when they do. You know. And he's also like he's this amazing guitar player, amazing producer and mixer and engineer and all. But he's also this really encouraging guitar player. So whereas on the new record, Cast Iron Songs and Torch Ballads, I'm playing the riffs. And the leads on like three or four songs, which I would have never imagined would have happened twenty years ago. You know? Yeah. Wow. Like it's just like like he's like, well, you're doing that now. I'll just do this instead on on that, and it'll make it into something else. You know? So it's been you know he's not only just makes your records better, he makes you better as a player by you know encouraging you. It's really it's really wonderful. And it's it's like those things like that, those like moments of like real like oh man, I'm so glad 
you know, I was so moved by him as opposed to like, I don't know, that someone who who would do the opposite. You know what I mean? Like, like oh, yeah. It, yeah. Like those those heroes and those like uh, people we admire when they when they live up to these like unrealistic uh, expectations that they deliver on and like not intentionally, but just because of who they are makes you feel so much better about being so obsessed with them. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they always say don't heroes, but actually most of the time I have have been pretty good. Yeah. Um oh yeah, I had I had, I had a terrible encounter with David Byrne, but it was my fault. So oh, that's no. okay. I I was literally at a play in Philadelphia and it was the intermission was just about over and they were flashing the lights and I ran off to use the restroom. Yeah. And as I, I was literally running into the restroom, and I, I literally ran smack into David Byrne. Oh my god! Of all people, <laughs> yeah. Wow. And I, I don't know why. Like we just kind of like banged into each other, and I don't know why. I just looked at him. I said, "Hey, your suit fits." <laughs> and he's just like, "Oh, asshole!" And just walks <laughs> away. And I really don't blame him. <laughs> oh, that was a fast one-liner. I'm impressed. <laughs> I would be like, what? I don't know why I thought to say that. I there's a hundred things I could have said. It would have been better. <laughs> Man. Well, yeah, but like, <laughs> that's yeah. Oh man, that's in, that's incredible. That's I think that's an all right one. That's I can, that's that's one. I, <laughs> I could be like, yeah, I messed up that one too. <laughs> wow. Yeah, yeah. Oh man. But you know, most of the times I've met people I really admired. It's actually turned to be very good. I have to say so. Um, but you know, I don't. I never wanted to meet Jerry Lee Lewis. I just wanted to admire him from afar. <laughs> yeah, you know, that might be all right. <laughs> yeah. Like, well, I mean, he's around. He's like probably he's in Memphis, right? Or is he in Nashville? Well, he passed he passed about six months ago now, I guess. Oh, really? Damn. Yeah, yeah. He, finally passed. He, he always swore he would be the last one standing of all the yeah. original Sun people. It was. Holy shit. That's a bummer. Yeah, he passed about six months ago. Yeah. I didn't hear anything about that. Wow. It was weird. He just, it, two days before, I think it was, he got the Country Music Hall of Fame inducted him finally. Yeah. And then he passed. Because the word had always been they were going to wait until he wasn't strong enough to go and accept it and say something bad. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> That's always been the rumor, so, you know. Wow. But, um, but yeah, Damn. I never saw him where he amazed me. Even in, in, his, in his dotage, he was always able to, like, still pull it out, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And like, it's, it's guys like that, that are super like, that are like, we can, we can do this forever. Apparently. <laughs> like, this is awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, you know, I mean, somehow rock and roll is the only time where getting older music became an issue. Yeah. 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 And now it's lasted too long that you can't, you can't even make that the issue anymore. <laughs> right. Right. You know, that's that interesting. Like that, like it, it really like had this kind of youth, oriented thing to it or even like even like with punk you still see like patty smith killing it you know what i mean like but then it, like a songwriter or something like if they weren't like kind of older you're like i don't believe them <laughs> like well yeah that's the thing yeah what do you what do you like i was writing songs since i was a teenager but i don't think i wrote any really good songs for a long time now in the new record there's a song called lonesome train and that, that actually song. Oh, thank you. I, I actually wrote that song is 40 years old. I wrote that really? when I was 23. I was the first time I thought I wrote a really decent song. Wow. And, and just... I played it in various bands. We never recorded it. It was usually kind of like done in more like a, a, a string bandy kind of fashion kind of thing. Okay. 
And this time we did, I did it in this rock thing because it just really seemed to fit with the rest of the record. But yeah, that's the first time I thought I wrote a, a decent song. Wow, I love that song. Like going through this record, oh, like uh, going through the record. Whenever I get like a, a advance, I listen to it before reading anything about it, just to kind of hear it, and then you know what I mean. Oh, good, it, yeah. You know, just to get a, a raw reaction to it. Um, but anyway, like that, like this. So knowing that this was kind of like a like a return to roots in a way um when you picked up the dan electro guitar which that would do it man those are sick guitars <laughs> like there's something about playing yeah, it's funny they're, yeah they're like funny because this the one i got it's a 59 although there's nothing precious about it it's it's been through the the, the ringer and all um i it's the only time i ever bought a guitar online just sight on seat or, or just yeah looking at it online yeah and without trying it out first and it turned out to be just great and they're Dan Electro's then and now are very hit and miss. One could be great in the same batch. Three will be awful. And this was just one of those ones. And it just really, as soon as I plugged it in, it was like, oh, here we are. And it just started. I just started writing like crazy on it. And it just. Yeah, it just it just. The album, it's the quickest I ever wrote a record. It just all kind of fell out because there was a lot going on in my world around me. So I didn't have time to like sit and write, right? So I would just, I, I, a lot of stuff I don't remember writing. I would just find things here and there and just put them together. And it was like, oh, that works, you know? And uh, so it was a different kind of writing and which I think made it for the more, made it more musically immediate too. Yeah, you know, because I went through, I went through most of your records after listening to this to kind of get the comparison of the, you know. Oh, really? Well, yeah. I mean, like, it, it, to get, like, the comparison of, like, why this one's different and, like, what makes it more rock-oriented, which is, that's interesting to hear that was the approach to it because that makes a lot of sense. Like, and that kind of suits that type of, like, rip or, rip or lyric, what's going to fit, you know. And, like... But I don't think I don't think by any degree the lyrics don't match the riffage. Uh, you know, what I mean, I'm just like saying like like uh, like as far as how much can you fit in between these two pieces of bread? Um, yeah, <laughs> there's only so much uh, physically or soundscape wise. Well, especially if it's going by a quick clip. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but it's interesting, like that, like that process of when you just kind of are playing a thing. You're like, oh, that's kind of cool. And you, for me, I I have to record everything I do, or it's like in one ear out the other then revisit and then revamp um do you like like is that as far as like i guess to hear a little bit more about the process of of like kind of just it coming out in this moment compared to other moments like uh, do you normally like have like a routine like kind of songwriting like approach because i mean you got like six records and like it's prolific <laughs> the amount that you put out and like and like so there's got to be like some like maintenance of 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 writing to be able to do that and like as in depthly as everything is and like as like so do you do you have like a routine like that? No, I'm pretty undisciplined. I keep trying yeah. to develop a routine, <laughs> and it just never life doesn't seem to let me do it that way. Um, now I used to have a great method, which was I'm what I would refer to as a freak magnet. So if, if I'm in a bar just out for a drink and there's 200 people in that bar, the one most batshit crazy person is going to sit down next to me and tell me their life story. And that's like <laughs> gold. Right? Yeah, it is. 
And between the pandemic and my social anxiety issues, I don't go out as much. So I've, yeah. I've had to like get out from within more in the last couple of records. Okay. Well, I guess. Like, but uh, so I've never had it like, but once I latch on to an idea, I, that's pretty much all I want to do is, is work it out. Okay. And is that like, so once you get that song seed planted in your brain, whatever it is, if it's whatever the, the, the story of the dude from next to you or the, uh, the whatever, like, inspirato moment, that's like when – do you typically just sit there and drill it out or, like, do as much as you can and keep if, revisiting? If I can. Okay. If I can get on a roll with it, yes. If I don't and I feel like I'm trying too hard, I usually walk away from it and I do something totally mindless and something will creep in. Um, when I wrote, uh, I think it's my third album, I'm called you never be a bird, which is probably the most melodic, uh, record of all mine. And it's the only record where I ever wrote all the music first, just kind of as an experiment, which might be more melodic than the other ones. But I had this job. Uh, I just started this job working at a hospital, um, and just in serving food. I'm not, I say, I don't, I don't cure anything except the occasional hand, you know? Yeah. Um, (laughs) I had this job where like during the whole lunch rush hour for like three hours, I just ran these fryers making like fries and tater tots and chicken tenders and stuff and just make them and throwing them out. And if I had a, and I didn't have any time to interact with anybody else. Yeah. It was so big. And after three hours, I just write down anything I had in my mind from that time period when I finally got a break. And that's really how I wrote all the lyrics to that because I was so, distracted by other i was i was distracted not interrupted by other people that um i remember i had this, i had this boss who just hated me like her her boss was the one that hired me above her uh approval and one day she was like you must really hate this job i was like no i love this i wrote my whole new record on just yeah you know, every lunchtime just in the last three months and she's just like, oh and she walked away and took me off the fryer and never had me work there again what ah <laughs> Yeah, it totally slowed down my productivity, you know, yeah. on both all levels. <laughs> Dang, like <laughs> you enjoy this? Ah. <laughs> yeah, can't have can't have get paid for that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, oh man. But yeah, so now I'm very disciplined with my writing, but I'm lucky in that usually I'll have if I have a dry spell, once I write something, I'll usually write three to five songs in a short period and okay. maybe if I'm lucky, two to three will be keepers, or I can take parts out of one another and form some one or two really good songs there. And like, yeah, so it's I was more of a chop shop than a writing room in some ways. I've got notebooks everywhere. I'm pulling from different pages. Okay, that's it. Okay, cool. Like because I know there's no right way to do this, and everyone's got the. And life happens. You can't just hone in on a thing. You know what I mean? Like, and there's and even when you do, you kind of force this thing that doesn't produce the thing you want it to be. You know what I mean? Like. I mean, I guess I guess that's good to like to have that moment of like just focus on a th- writing or whatever to take that five minutes and write down what's what was fried in your mind. You know what I mean? Like, um, and those do pay off later. And like, so like, so for you, it's is it a lyric type first and then finding music to fit it. Uh, it, it used to be okay. It used to be always very lyric driven first, especially when it was the more you know, acoustic guitar, solo guy based thing, I guess, because it was just, you know, it's one or the other at that point, you know. Um, and, I, and, I, and my guitar playing was much more rudimentary than it even is now. Um, 
but as especially as I've gotten back into playing electric guitar, it's really fun to write a cool riff, you know, rather than just bring a song into the band and go, all right, here's a song except we need a riff. And then, you know, Robert or somebody comes up with, you know, we, we played around something. For them. It's nice to come in with something already because it's inspiring and it takes the song somewhere where it might not have gone lyrically before. So I, I kind of go back and forth between the two. Um, but I, I find like a really good, you know, a nice riff will really like bring it out pretty quickly um, for me, especially these days. On on the Cast Iron Songs and Torch Bowls album, the new record, there's a song in there. It's the first song on the second side. Uh, in for a penny, in for a pound. Yeah, that's a cool one. And and that is, other than the maracas and the harmony vocals that Candace does, that is completely live in the studio, yeah. our second take. Wow. And I was making up the lyric. I had the chorus. We had we had a little time left over at the end of the session. And I just, I had a chorus and I just said, all right, guys, let's do um, uh, Bo Diddley beat and F sharp. And we just went for it. And the second take, first take was like, yeah, something's missing. And James, our drummer, decided to double time the chorus. And we did it again. And that was it. The second take is exactly what we played. We haven't played it since. <laughs> and it's just, you know, and it was so hot and inspiring. I was just making up the lyrics as we went along. It oh, was really? just, okay. oh, it was ideal. You know? Yeah. It was, it was wonderful. Well, that that chorus in for a penny was that in your mind going into it, or did that yeah, that, that was a thing. Father always used to say, like, yeah, when, when you basically when you, you're already in trouble for something. Yeah, <laughs> that was you go like, for a penny and for a pound, boy. Yeah, I know where you're going with it, you know, and that that was very true about a lot of things, you know. That's it's like, oh well, if one nice, what does ten do? You know. Yeah. Well, you know, it's like the, some of those, like, I guess the word would be idioms or just like those phrases that just like you use in your everyday kind of like moniker and just like, you know, what I mean, the things you say, like, those are just so impactful as far as like the six word story kind of idea of a song where it's like it's or the, the Stooges no more than 25 words, you know, what I mean, like it because they say so much and have been applied so much. And like with that song in particular, the title is like, oh, this this is gonna be cool. And then when it like it has just that rock thing, you know, like that's that's crazy to hear. Oh, yeah. It was all just like kind of like in the moment. That's amazing. Yeah, it was so we had um between the pandemic and like I said, there were some issues going on here at home. Um, we basically recorded that album. Not basically, we recorded all the basic tracks for the new record in four two-hour sessions. Wow! Wow! I would write a song. I would I would just do like a demo on my phone or over at Robert's home studio and just acoustic guitar and vocals, send it to the guys in the band. We would get together, play it, each one, go through each one a couple of times. Um, because we recorded at my drummer's uh studio in his back house. And we come back the next time, listen back to the, what we did the time before, and either agree that was good or we do it again. And we, like I said, and we got to the last thing was just in for a penny was just made up on the spot. Other than I said, I had a chorus. So it was um that whole all the basic tracks were done in eight hours. We put it all together. That, you know, but there's something too like when it just happens, like and it almost sounds like with the whole process of writing everything, it matched the process of recording for this record as far as it just flowed out naturally. Um, oh yeah, well this is the fourth record or so with this band. Other than Tom, our bass player joined on the before the last album. 
But so it's been a band for quite a while, and it's a really good band. I'm incredibly lucky. Um, the one piece of advice my mother gave, my mother was a, a, a frustrated trumpet player from when she was in high school. Yeah. And the one piece of advice she gave me about music was she said, you always surround yourself with people that are better than you. Because if you're just hanging out with your friends, you're all at the same level, you'll think you're all really as good as you need to be. True. And she was right. So it's like, so, I mean, I know when I bring, if I think I have a good song and a good idea, you know, when I bring it into my band, I know it's going to get a lot better. So it's, you know, there's not much I can't bring into them at this point because they're way better players than I am. So I know whatever I bring in, it's going to be in really good hands. So that's very inspiring on its own right there. Yeah. Well, and there's something too, like, um, like as a band, like it, if someone can just kind of highlight certain things, like when you have to develop the whole thing, every aspect on your own, it almost doesn't shine as bright because, because of that. Unless it's like someone who's very, very like keen on what they want to see and how to bring out those certain colors. Like when you have someone else like highlight certain aspects, it becomes a group unit. And now it has not just your momentum and like passion behind it, but like five people's, you know? And even if oh, it's yeah. just like yeah. the banjo player who who's working on uh, the Ernest Tub tunes or whatever, I don't know. You like I don't think he has banjo. He's more of a he's more of a honka tonk. Either way, you know, like just okay. someone <laughs> someone who has like a little insight oh, yeah. from I mean, a thing. Uh, uh, well, it's a, and that's a two sided thing because yeah, you, know, you can also end up with people if you don't know what you want, you can end up with people that are really good players that will intimidate you and play over your songs because they're using that as their moment to shine yeah that's true about themselves and not the song and that's very it's a very easy trip to trap to fall into especially when you're first starting out is to you know to to tell a good player you know that's great let's do the same thing but do half as much you know not everybody responds to that well right right you're like i'm i'm giving you all my shreddage and you want you want to yeah it's like it. yeah <laughs> i always tell people like yeah when i've had bands especially like, you're not getting paid by the note just just relax you know listen take take a verse of the chorus and listen yeah you know, that's interesting like do you find like working on like a record that's more rock driven like like this one compared to like uh smoke and mirrors where there was some kind of slower more ballad tunes and like story sure. tunes do you find like a it's easier for for the the band to like contribute to the song when it's more of a rock driven thing compared to like a, a narrative driven song i think so but i think it's not about the band it's about whether how precious i'm being about the song oh, okay like like yeah. the smoke and mirrors like that was um i have two albums i've done which are are actual concept albums and that's one of them and that's a record that i worked on for 10 years in the writing and so i was very i was very set on what i wanted that record to be and it was a testament to somebody that i loved dearly that i wanted to like put the best light on and but i also had the, the luxury of doing it with a band that was so good and knew me so well at that point I could be very open to what their suggestions would be. And I could be very trusting of it. If that makes sense. Yeah, no, that totally makes sense. And like, like if I had made that record with a different band and I attempted to years before, it would have been a much more precious record. And as much as that record is very 
you know, very lyric driven. And it's just the whole thing adds up to telling a single story. Um, you can listen to it song by song and the ones that rock really rock and the ones that don't, I, I you know, I hope are equally moving a different way. Whereas when I tried to do that with other musicians, some of their songs in an earlier form, it just wasn't, I, they weren't connecting with the material and I had to put it away, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, that totally does. Cause like, I, that, I think that was the first one I listened to after listening to, um, to cast. Um, and like, the song about Super Freak and like the like I was like, damn, this is beautiful. Like, like sometimes it's just those things that like stick out that everyone knows that like drive this like this time, this frame, this like uh, reference that kind of like builds the whole atmosphere. In this case, of the record because it kind of t- is is that through line, not the just but like the narrative of it. Like and yeah, yeah. But uh, that's so that that does make sense. Like, especially was like um, sorry, that does make. I'll finish my sentence. That does make sense, <laughs> especially like when it's something that's so well crafted narratively that like it would be more more intricate in that sense and less in the other. Um, was Rosetta please the same type of process? Yeah, that was a completely different band. That was the first full band I had when I was living in Memphis. And that was the same thing that was, you know, that was when I talked about the freak magnet thing about you meet somebody in a bar. It was literally that. And it happened 20 years before I wrote the record. But I was in a bar one night in South Jersey. And this guy just said, you know, hey, if you listen to my story, I'll buy you drinks. Huh. And I thought, how bad could this be? And it turned out to be very bad. <laughs> um, it just rolled, rolled around in my head for years. And I finally, you know, I took what little I knew of his story and wrote what I thought the rest of it might be, but I had to really, but as an, as an album, it was a very tricky one to craft because it's telling a very, you know, it's a story about a guy I meet in a bar whose girlfriend is, is a prostitute who's out working the streets to pay his bar tab and constantly mine too. (laughs) And, and, you know, like, and the whole time the guy's telling me this thing, I think he's just some drunk. He was just blabbering on and on. And then, the woman comes in at the end of the night with her John and leaves the money and goes off with the guy, the John. And I realized, Oh my God, this is true. And it just never left my mind. And at one point I just, rather than try to make it a song, I made it an album because it was just too much to make in one song for me at that moment anyway. Right. Well, but mean, it was a, sorry. And it was a very different band and it was, um, like the bass player in that band, Maggie Veazey, she was 17 years old when we made that record. It was her first thing she'd ever been involved in. So it was like, and 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 the guy who played all the lead and the the, the lap steel guitar was her father. And that's also a weird dynamic to have like father and daughter in a band. Yeah. <laughs> it's like I used to then we go out on the road, like right before we go out on the road for like two weeks of tour or something, Maggie would come in with a new tattoo and like her father would be really bad, but he couldn't say anything. <laughs> we're all there. And they wouldn't speak for like days. And then I would have to like get them to talk. And I realized, I said, one day I was like, you know, you aren't making money playing with me, but you're saving a fortune in family counseling. So, you know, something, you know, but um, yeah, like, they, but they were, they were, that band was not the band that could have made this record either. Right. You know, right. and I don't think that this record, we can play those songs, but it sounds very different when we play them now. So it's all, you know, what you, I tend to like, 
once I started recording, I tend to write towards the band I'm probably going to be working with. Um, and I don't know if that's smart or not, but that tends to be the way my, I seem to work. That, that to me that makes uh, sense because that's that's the crew you're going to you're going to arm and to go out with this record. You know, what I mean, right for the people. You're yeah, with, you know. Uh, yeah, and and now I'm lucky enough. Like I said, I have a band, and I don't think there's anything I can that I can musically bring in that they can't take and make better. <laughs> so there's no, there's nothing holding it back other than me at that point. You know, like what do we do next? Who knows? You know, I don't think it'll be free jazz, but other than that, <laughs> it'll be free wide open. And I like free jazz, but right? I, you know. That's that's a whole other like thing to try to craft. That's a that's a it's the structuralism on like a whole nother like stand viewpoint that I can't see. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like what? But, I had the craziest thing with how I, I I was a pretty casual jazz listener. Yeah. And just and mostly listen to the yeah, you know, the, the stuff most people listen to. And about seven years ago, I got really ill with what turned out to be a thing called histoplasmosis, which is the thing that almost killed Bob Dylan. 97 or so whatever yeah. it was and basically this thing had attacked my heart and it almost killed me they, they caught it just in time but for about six months or so i could not listen to electric guitars huh. it just made my head crazy and i've talked to other people that had heart similar heart ailments and it did happen to them too but i could listen to really out free jazz stuff that that really entertained me and worked for me which was always never did before it was very crazy now i can just do it still but it took almost dying to be able to, to relate to that <laughs> well uh, closer to chaos may make sense and and when life is chaotic yes, like exactly. that like yeah or, or... So my body was, I would be fine and then literally i'd be walking across the room i would just fall over and Jeez. almost die Oh my god! Because this yeah. thing grew on my lungs. Yeah. That eventually, over the years, nobody caught it, and it surrounded my heart. And every now and then, we just try to pop it like a balloon. <laughs> oh, oh man! Wow, that's intense. And like, how long did it take? It was like, how long did it take to like know what it was? Like, how many? It years? took six months for a do- for Jesus, a doctor yeah. to finally figure out what it was. They were just batting me back and forth between this doctor, that doctor. And this, yeah, this is here in Memphis. And I got this one doctor, and she finds a younger doctor. She was a pulmonologist, and she just wouldn't let it go. She just wouldn't let it go. And she told me, she goes, I can't sleep at night because I can't figure this out. And when she finally did, it was really funny. She calls me in, and she's like, We got a lot to talk about. What do you want? To, what do you want? To, how do you want to start this? I said, What's the worst scenario? She goes, You want to start with the worst scenario? I said, Well, for New York. I said, I'm from New Jersey. She goes, well, I'm from Philly. That makes sense. And we immediately bonded. <laughs> and, um, yeah, and she, she figured it out, and they caught it right before it got to the point where I was going to need open-heart surgery. If they had gone about two months, I would have had open-heart surgery, and my life would have been completely different. Yeah. Well, just even— So I'm very lucky. <laughs> yeah, wow. And just, like, that's that's the passion you want a doctor to have for sure. You know what I mean? Like. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. She, she she's gotten a thank you in the last two records, and she will continue to. <laughs> <laughs> that's um, wow. That's in like just but, but, but like they try to be figuring it out. One thing like I musically like with uh, your heart having a certain type of rhythm to it, 
like in the lack thereof rhythm, maybe that's why it also made more sense. Um, I, I think, you know, I do think I'm a much better rhythm player now than I used to be. And I wonder if I have wondered if the arrhythmia thing had something to do with it. I did not even like pun intended, but it very well could because that's how you process no, no, I'm, you know? I, I never thought of that until yeah. recently that crossed my mind. Yeah. Because um, somebody in the band was going, you're really, you know, you're getting, you're obviously practicing, you're, you're just much more of a, you know, dependable, Rhythm guitar player, you know, because you know, usually the guy that's played a lot solo isn't when he when he blends in a lot of times yeah. it, it it's and I I wonder a lot of times if that has something to do with that when I see my doctor again, I'm gonna actually ask her about that. I maybe like I in my <laughs> you're circulating blood through a certain, you know. I, I mean, I would advise anybody a, a quicker way would just be to knuckle down and practice. Right, right. <laughs> Put the metronome on. Um <laughs> yeah. <laughs> strum it out you know <laughs> yeah a metronome would be more your friend yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow dan thank you so much for your time man this has been a, a really awesome conversation and i've really enjoyed diving into your career and like picking your mind on on writing and these records and like um the fact that do you still like so are on when you're planning the tour with this um, are you playing the tour? Are you rolling with Ben or are you going to roll solo dolo? I'm doing one of my bands. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean like without like, Oh, yeah. so the last time you were in the beach lane, it was with Ben, like on a solo acoustic thing. Yeah. We were both oh, okay, doing okay, solo okay. shit. Gotcha. He was in town for that. Um, it was a Q and a at the rock and roll hall of fame. Oh yeah. 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 And Cause Greg Harris, who's the CEO. He used to be the Ben Moncomo's original. Um, he was their road manager originally. And I was the sound man, and I became the road manager when Greg left. And so we were—he was going down to do the Q and A. So he's like, "Watch, come with me, and we'll do this. We'll do to us a set at the at the Beachland." Okay, yeah, I remember him telling me about so, that. So, so yes, yeah, so I'm looking to come back and do a full band show somewhere in Cleveland in in June, actually. In June, very cool, very cool. Well, Dan, thank you so much for this conversation, man. This has been awesome. Thank you. I really appreciate it. And so I'm. It's really, you know, nice to have somebody, you know, delve into more than just the release date, you know. Yeah, yeah, no, I like it. Uh, Which is important, too, April 7th. April yeah. 7th, but, it's also very important. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for But, no, it's really nice to have somebody who's, like, listened to it, done the homework. Like I said, when I listened to the the interview you did with Ben, I realized, oh, this guy does the homework, so I better be ready. And you did, so I, I appreciate it. Oh, on a, on a side note, were you around – with the 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 Cubist Blues thing, Ben did. Were you hanging around? Did you know? Uh, I wasn't. I, I wasn't working with Ben anymore then. But I, you know, I I heard it before most people did, and all. I wasn't on the scene for it. Unfortunately, I would love to have been a fly on the wall for that. Yeah. Um. Cool. That was done. There was a period where I moved to Michigan for a while, and he was. That was when he was. He was doing that then. Okay. Okay. Where you? But, like, um, where in Michigan were you? Were you Detroit? But what was really great about that, I had been at that point. I was in a very, I hadn't written anything in a long time, and I got this job at a factory there, at a bottling factory, in Grand Rapids. And for twelve hours a day, six days a week, I stood on top of this rickety ladder in front of this conveyor belt. And at the other end of the building, this alarm would go off, and the gate would go up, and a truck would deliver a couple thousand empty Snapple bottles. 
and would come down this conveyor belt. And my whole job was just to stand there on this ladder. And if any of the bottles were knocked over, pick them back up straight so they could go past me into the cleaning area. Hmm. And I just sat up. I had a, I stood on this ladder and I had a place I could put a notebook. And I wrote half of yeah, the songs that became my first album right there. And, and just a ton of songs that actually ended up being on the Sin Repent Repeat album later on. Is there so a, it was like the worst job and the best job at the same time. Yeah, is there like, I guess they kind of end up. So I, I owe Michigan a lot, even though it was not my best time in my <laughs> my best years. There's some. It's interesting because it, it seems like the the physical like doing the job where your body's physically doing something that doesn't really require thought allows the mind to really kind of like wander and like find these like nuggets and like has have you is. Is this kind of like something like, is that like a comfort for you as far as like writing the like physical meditation in a way where your body's doing yes, something? Yeah. yeah. I've never been like a, a, I've never been like a formal meditation person. I just, I don't know. I just can't turn my head off enough that I keep trying and it just doesn't seem to work. But I always write better when I'm doing a job where I don't have to think, especially if I don't have to interact with other people. Um, I just think that's a great, for me, that's a really great way to write. And I just, I'm trying to think of how I'm going to put this, but yeah, it is like a meditation in that way because I'm, I could do something repetitive and I'm not, have concentrated on the job and my mind will drift and that, and that's all I need then. And it's like, and my theory is always like, if I can remember this, when, when my break comes up from whatever the task I'm doing or my job or whatever, if I can remember it, and write it down then, and it was worth remembering. Okay. Yeah, you know, if I didn't yeah. have a place where I could write it down right then, it was like, if I can remember this two hours from now, then it was worth remembering. Yeah. Right, right. And like, but that's interesting because, like, I find that too, like, with like doing a thing, like uh, letting the mind, like, for me, uh, driving, to, like, teaching, like, I don't have time to not, like, to manually just do a thing and think about something else. It's always like, oh, yeah. Attention oh, needed yeah. here now. Like, but like, when you have that, like, the thing where you're doing something physically and your your physical needs or your physical like cause if your body wants to move it can move it wants to move right you 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 have this like kind of bodily resolve in a way where yeah it knows what's going to do already it doesn't have to check in with you yeah 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 and that's when those thoughts really wander and you land on those like if I get enough coffee and like I'm driving the right direction I guess like I, that I get that same like that uh, maybe not same, but a similar sounding experience. Oh yeah. And that's like, yeah, my wife will, she can always spot, you know, it's like, uh, you got something, you got, you're writing, aren't you? You have to tell us it's something brewing around in there. <laughs> cause yeah, you, cause you gotta get that thing and you haven't quite had the chance to sit down and write it out yet or write work with it, but you know where you think it's going to go. And it just starts rolling. I, I can't think of anything else in that moment, you know? Yeah. Yeah, that's um, awesome. but, but the other thing is with writing like that, I think it's also is like, because guys like us, people like us, we, we also do have to have a, yeah, have always had to have a job. Yeah. Yeah. I think if you were a guy who came up, if you're a writer who came up and all you did was go to the Brill building and write songs, you're Carol King and Jerry Dawson or something, you know, you've been doing that since you were 17 years old or whatever, you probably have a thing, a routine and a, and a way you work. Right. But for us, that's never that was never going to be for people like us. That was never going to be a, a luxury we were going to have. Yeah. So yeah. you so you had to learn to write 
when you could write and you and you have to learn to you know when when inspiration yells out incoming you got to be ready to take it yeah but it, it may it's not going to stop at your house it's going to go somewhere else it seems like that's a good way to put it you're right and you're right and that's like this whole other like 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 when you really have to like keep everything going and make any time that it starts to become all the time as opposed to just a set a set aside time which i guess when someone like me is like what's your routine you're like oh, i don't know i'm do always doing <laughs> like that that's also a really like profound way because there's a lot of a lot of people that are you, you can't do music full time without finding your way in things you have to say yes to <laughs> you know what i mean like there's too many oh, too many God, avenues yeah. <laughs> like yeah uh, i mean i love the idea that you know nick cave used to like put on a suit every day and go to his room and write for six or eight hours. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I love that idea. But I think every time I've tried to do that, not the suit part, but every time I try to do that, I tend to psych myself out, you know, like, okay, I'm going to write something now. If I don't have an idea already, that's just the surest way for me to not do any, write anything and and get really frustrated with myself. Right. Right. Um, I wish I was that disciplined, but I, I just haven't been. And I just don't think I've had a life that, lends itself to that but i don't think there's a right or wrong way to write either you know i definitely agree and it's interesting like maybe like for like someone like nick cave or someone who like really takes a maybe that's their way of doing the job that no one bothers them at you know what i mean like when you're you, oh, you, totally you, yeah. you get that solitude in a way to like kind of reflect and like i think when you when you're kind of like someone has to do all this stuff like the fact that you're not doing something, you're like, I, I should be, you know, making sure I can eat tomorrow. And like, in a way that allow when you are doing that, it allows your mind to go into that, like, okay, now I, I also got to write this state. You know what I mean? Like it allows that like comfort oh, yeah. for the solitude. Like, yeah, well, nothing haunts me more than a, a, a list with unchecked boxes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, I can't turn my head off sometimes because things are just, because yeah, when you're doing it at this level, you know, you're not just, the artist, you're the record label, you're the publisher, right. you're the promoter, you're, you know, the and, and I don't say that, I'm not, I don't say that to bitch, it's just how it is, you know? Right, right, right. Um, so it's, you know, you don't have that luxury of just like, well, I'm going to the office, dear, to write for eight hours, you know, I, it's just not how it is. So when it comes in, I, I never want to ignore the muse or I want to look at it or the antenna because, like I said, I don't believe it's going to just sit here and wait on my desk. It's, you know, it's going to move on to somebody else, it seems like. What is it? That's, I think that's well said. On that note, my friend, <laughs> on, that, on that note, like, I want to thank you again for, for hanging out with me and uh, letting me pick your brain and uh, getting the dive into your career. It's been, like I was saying before, it's like this, for me, this keeps me going. I like this, this insight search and the fact I can write it off as something that I get to share and helps other people is cool. So thank you. Oh man. Thank you. Like I said, you know, it's like I said, it's really nice to talk about anything. It's about things other than just the release date. Oh yeah. It's really, it's, it's really refreshing. And this is like the first long form podcast interview I've done. So I hope I yeah. did all right. I do killed it, man. This is awesome. Like it's. Yeah.